following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Scott, I just want to say thank you so much for not only hooking the mic up for me, <laughs> but thank you for inviting us to be with you. And Shane, it is a pleasure uh, to have known Shane since, I think, July and to come and be here with all of you. I tell you, I am so excited about being here today. And I, I, I concur with, with Quentin that the spirit coming in here, you felt the warmth, you felt the love and the engagement, um, and I love food. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and when I saw food, I said, this is a welcoming church. <laughs> and so I am so excited that when you see food, it means all come on in and partake. And so thank you so much for the opportunity of being here. And we are here with, with you um, today as we experience what it means about being ambassadors of reconciliation, a, a faith race, and about our city. It's an honor to be here. Uh, and, I, and I cherish. I, I want to thank Shane because he really started it all for us. Um, I had, was a guest speaker uh, on a panel back in the early part of the summer that Shane serves on the board of the Bridge Consortium, and um, we struck a chord there, and it was through him that hooked me and Scott together, and we've had several coffees together and sat downtown and just talked a lot about this series and decided it would be um, a good thing for us to come and to just spend uh, worship time with each other as we talk about some of the more awkward discussions about race and, rec- and reconciliation. I really believe we are on the cups of that. We're doing that. We need to talk some more concerning about all that, but I'll get to that in just a minute. So I want to thank Shane, and I want to thank Scott for just being true and new good friends of mine. Um, it is an honor to be with them and all of you here. Now, I got to tell you something. Um, I always wanted to come inside this church. I've always. Do you know I passed by here about a trillion times when this church wasn't yellow, it was blue. And, 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 and all up and down the street to go home. I only live right up the block on Highland Avenue. And, and, and my former church is Baber Amy Church down the block. But I have to say thank you because in 2007, if some of you can recall, there was a parade that we hosted from Baber Church, and you allowed us to use the parking lot, your parking lot, as the setup stage that began what was called the South Clinton Community Spirit Parade. And I never thanked you, and now I'm here to say thank you. <laughs> and so I am just so thankful to meet you, they always had this privilege, wanted to come inside, because I love what it looked on the outside, and always said, what's, what's on the inside? And then when I met Shane, and he said, he go to Artisan Church, I said, that's the church on South Clinton, right? And he said, yeah. I said, oh, we got to sit and talk. And, um, and we sat and talked, and we met, and we started talking with Shane and, and uh, Scott, and all, the, everything was just heaven from there. And so it's just a pleasure to be in here, and it's not only a wonderful spirit, I just love what you're doing and the work that you continue to do and be about our father's business. I, I, Kim just left. I saw it left. Okay, well, I'll read the scripture. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to 
Um, I want to talk to you from this, this topic. And, and again, I, I also bring you greetings from, from Christ Community Church. We call it C3. And, uh, and uh, it's a new congregation. It's about three years old. And we're located in the Cornhill section of the city. And right before you get to the underpass on 490, we're there, uh, the Old Boys Club on Favor Street, right off Ford Street. And we've been there for three years. We just concluded our third year anniversary there. And it's been a really wonderful faith journey. And I know my congregation there as they prepare for worship at 11. And as to why some of uh, our folks had to leave to go there. uh, Bring greetings to you. And so I am just so thankful to all of you again for this opportunity. Um, I'd like to talk to you from this title uh, in in our message for today, as we continue to talk about being ambassadors of reconciliation, title I'd like to talk to you is, There is Good in the Hood. There is good in the hood. Which gospel about race do you believe? There is good in the hood. Which gospel do you believe about race? And I want to read on the, from the book according to... Acts, the 10th chapter, looking at verse 9 through 16. The book of Acts, the 10th chapter, verses 9 through 16. About noon, the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance or deep sleep. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and the birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, this is what I've read from the New International Version, but there's another version of the Bible, the Revised Standard Uh, version, the New Revised Standard Version, that says something like this in verse 16. This happened three times, and immediately this thing, somebody say this thing, this thing thing was taken back to heaven. I think race and and racial conflict has been upon us all and part of our country as long as all of us been alive combined put together, down through the generations, centuries even. It's been part of the ugliness of our country. It's trickled down into neighborhoods and communities. It's trickled down into schools, homes, even the church. It's trickled down even to our faith. And life, in, for most part, has two varieties black or white, black or white. I was born in the mid to late 60s, 
And the nature of things back then came down to two groups living in separate parts of town. I didn't come from the Jim Crow South, or the North for that fact, where the two groups of people, black and white, lived in separate parts of town, went to separate schools, went to separate churches, had a different network of social contacts, and enjoyed well-defined boundaries of what I call racial distancing. Now, please, we come in love, but we got to begin to talk about things that might be awkward and might be provocative and might attack some of us, black or white, about some of our subliminal, but also what's on surface and what's behind our spirit and mind that we might not or do know that exists. And part of going to church, I believe, at least from my perspective, the word of God, the word of God becomes the thing or the mirror we need to look at ourselves. That forces us to, to, to answer some of the darkness of our own lives, even some of the demons of our own lives that we have to face. Well, back then, in the 60s, 50s, 40s, backwards, race was more blatant and, and blunt. It was wordy. It was forceful. It was aggressive. But today, things are different. It's more subliminal. It's more quiet. It's more suave. It's dignified. And all it does, it creates a distance. It's a racial distancing. And although we are not living in the Jim Crow era, or at least with the mentality to some, I would submit to you that a more racial distancing has become what I consider the new Jim Crow of our society today. We don't have to be as blatant anymore about our dislikes with people or different, who, are, who possess different colors, the way they used to do back in the 50s or 40s, 60s. But today's racial conflict is marked what I call by distancing ourselves, racial distancing. In other words, I'll live on this side of town, or I'll go to church on this side of town. Most of all or all of my contacts will come from this side of town only. In the year 2013, racial distancing is marked by a major distinction that white people and other ethnic communities and blacks as well might have assumed the posture of being the superior identity or the superior race. And back, back then, in, in, when, when racism was blatant and stronger, It was assumed that in the white community, that the white community assumed the posture of superiority in race and that blacks were a lesser breed of humanity. Today, we don't say that because it's either culturally or politically incorrect to say. You can't say that. With all the negative imagery. Race relation has played down through the generations, through the decades. So we've become more suave. We've become more savvy in our subliminal mindset. Not just black, white people, but black people. All people. 
But what we do, we nurse or even feed our prejudice and sometimes our bigotry in a different way. This is how we do it. We keep a distance. I don't want to talk about my youth growing up from the Bronx or Harlem, where I'm from. I got a better story than that. I want to talk about living here in Rochester. I want to share my life with you, with my son, who's here. Raise your hand, Marlo. That's my son. That's, that's little Marlo. He ain't so little. <laughs> we live right down the block from you. We live right here on Highland Avenue. I'm towards South Witten in that corridor. And when we moved here back in, when we moved to Rhode, uh, Rochester in 2005, we lived in Highland Avenue since all that time. All that time. And we only moved from there one time for a short six-month period and then came back on Highland Avenue. On the side of Highland Avenue that we lived on, the side that we lived on was the side where um, the front door was the city of Rochester. But the back door is the town of Brighton. And so you literally have the choice to choose between which school district your child can go to, and you pay two taxes. Now, mine is prorated tax, so you didn't have to pay that much to Brighton, but you had to pay two taxes, one to the town of Brighton and one to the city of Rochester. I love that. It was good for the education part. Um, but then we left there for a moment, and then we came back, and now we live on the other side of the street where it's totally Rochester. Totally. No, no, no Brighton. But Brighton is right across the street. It's right across the street. Now, 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 my son loves to walk and go everywhere and goes to his friend's house and all that stuff. But that's a young black, black, black man. So he and I, we had conversations about the fact that when you go out into the community, even in Brighton, sorry to say, make sure you carry your ID. Make sure you carry your ID for fear that you might be portrayed as something or somebody that is not supposed to be in that community, yet you live there. Walk in that community and do, I don't care if you just going around the corner, down the block, or uh, up the street. Make sure when you walk, you carry your ID on you at all times as a black man. Because for him, civil liberty is not easily granted to him. Civil freedom is not given to him just like that. Some of us have to fight to get it. Some of us have to try to struggle to get civil freedom and it's not easily granted for fear that he is in the wrong community. So my son has to walk with an ID in his pocket to ensure that they, when, if the cops will stop him, whether it's direct or indirect, they would say, what are you here? Or what is your business? He can say, here's my address. This is where I live. Now, Unfortunately, I understand the urgency of resolving racial conflict. But we have now racial conflict that leaves this imagery and this impression that must be reconciled. 
oh, we're not mad. We, 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 we recognize this is part of the reality of living. In fact, I, 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 I want you to understand that we believe, we also believe that it's time that we have to have this conversation. And I appreciate Artisan Church to begin this, this conversation about racism and the power to overcome it would be more fruitful if we truly realize that we are dealing with two different types of gospels. And I want to talk about them. Of both gospels, the first is reported. Both of them are reported, but the first one is reported by the Reverend Dr. James A. Forbes Jr., who's the retired pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City. He, 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 he brought this notion of that there's two gospels in race. The first gospel is the gospel, and it's the theological language, it's the gospel of exceptionalism, racial exceptionalism. The gospel of racial exceptionalism. And then the second one is the gospel of human equality of being. But if I can add the street jargon just for a moment into this discussion, I just simply want to say, is there any good in the hood? My description that there is something worth pleasurable in both places, in both people, that normally our psychic will keep us or tell us, stay a distance. There are some of us who purports the idea of racial exceptionalism. Or to put it in language like this, there are some of us who has a well-defined exclusive spirit or exclusionary spirit and will use it as part of their faith gospel, as their guiding post for living. We will see it not only in words, but more so in action. We, we are exceptional we are exceptional and use this as gospel by the place we choose to live. But it becomes exceptional living when we choose not to want to go cross town and be a blessing there. We are exceptional and use this as gospel when we allow our children to play only with our children who live in the side of town we live in. But it becomes exceptional when we are willing or we, when we willingly do not allow our children to play or, or interact with other children who might not live in the side of town we live on. We are exceptional and use this as gospel when we don't mind that most, if not all, of our social contacts are folks coming from areas or demographics. But it becomes exceptional when we are frightened to sit with our neighbors across town just to have a cup of tea. When I come, where I come from, where I came from, People who are scared to walk or drive through parts of Harlem and part of the Bronx where I came from, and they do, and, and that still exists everywhere, even here. It's more than just a safety issue. But I, I, I really think for certain people, the gospel of exceptionalism is such a faith that it preaches that the power of God belongs to the most godlike people. That's what racism does. Racism automatically confers many benefits upon white people. For instance, in the white community, you have pride, perhaps preferential treatment, and the freedom to pursue personal prerogatives that come with the structure of white living. Not for blacks. Like I told you, my son has to walk in Brighton all day with an ID to fight his way to civil freedom. 
that is not automatically given to blacks, particularly today, black young men. In addition to having automatic uh, 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 benefits of certain and ethnic communities benefit with even higher, uh, higher paying jobs or perhaps even elite education or exclusive housing, better medical attention, greater recreational opportunities and special attention under the law. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. My job is supposed to provoke. <laughs> don't get me wrong here. Don't get me wrong if you, you, if you work for all these things because they all are noble. You're supposed to. But not at the expense of what I call race-based faith. That explains that whatever protects the interests, particularly of, of certain ethnic communities, whether it be white, black, what have you, that is moral, or at least it heightens one's exceptionalism and feeling superior over others. But I have to stop here to share with you that black life and its community may have helped exacerbate it further the gospel of racial exceptionalism. In that, we may have given you reasons why some of us won't go to Jefferson Avenue, why some of us won't go to Hudson Avenue, or travel to the Northeast section or to the Crescent, because black life proliferated black-on-black crime against each other, teen pregnancy, poverty, educational dropout, murder rates every day. We see and hear nowadays. So what do we do when we see and, and hear all of this? When people rely, rely on surface appearance and false racial stereotypes rather than in in-depth conversation of the heart, mind, and spirit? Well, I think for some people, they run to sameness. Everything always has to be the same. We run away from people we don't trust. We run away from people who cause, seemingly cause all the problems and cause all of the anxieties and who cause all the fears and we no longer feel safe. So for, for many of us, and I know for me, it might happen to me that if when that happens, I'll run to something that I'm familiar with called sameness. I know my neighborhood, so I'll hang out there. I know what's over there in my community, so I'll hang out there. I know the people over there. I know the social context over there, so I'll just be over there because that's what my, that's what, 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 what my psychic and what my intelligence and my spirit informs me. But there's good in the hood. Not everybody who lives in the hood are um, committing murder. Not everybody living in the hood are, 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 are bad people. In fact, many people choose to stay in the hood to help the hood, to better the hood, to reinforce that God is the God of the hood. That some people stay where they are because they want to welcome all of us to come in and to be embracive and to share with one another, that there's something good still in Nazareth. That there's something good, hallelujah. There's something good still up in that community. All of us can't run away. All of us can't hide to the sameness. All of us cannot just dig in our holes in the, in the heels. I don't care if we're white or black. 
but that God has called you and I to be a blessing to somebody else and to embrace others, not because of their color, of their skin, but because they're a child of almighty God. So, so there's some folks back in the hood that might say, I don't want to come out of it. I just need you to come in it so you can help us reverse the trend that's going on in the hood. That you can come on in and say and know that, yes, you coming in, but you're going to go right back out because there's nobody else that can do it. Maybe God put, you, put the blessing on you to be a blessing, uh, to be what I call a healer, to be a fixer. To be a renovator, to be a construction crew member, to begin to repair old communities and make old communities into something beautiful and something new. Yeah. Well, well, in fact, most of mo- mo- most folks don't don't want to come out. They, in fact, some of them want to stay. Now, you got some that do want to come out, but 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 most of them want to come out, but they pray, but they're not praying to a racial god. They're praying to a loving God. They're praying to a God that will help them through their needs and help them through their challenges. But then there's the other gospel. James Forbes called it the gospel of human race equality and being. Now, that's a big word. This is a gospel rooted what I call injustice, grounded in the justice and love of the ultimate source of our being, which is the creator God loves you. God loves all of us. And he made you and me with the gracious gift of divine love. And God agonizes over our bigotry. God agonizes over our prejudice and our arrogance and our self-faulting pride. So in order to restore the sense of fundamental worth to anyone deprived of it, God takes up the task of building our original equality of worth. So God is the prime advocate then for the dispossessed. He is the prime advocate for the, for, for, for the despised and the rejected members of the human family in order to restore the family to its integrity of equality. So the other gospel, which is called the human race of equality of being, Encourages us to view people not from our own eye. That's what gets us in trouble. What gets us in trouble is that we view people from our own eye. When in fact God wants us to view people with God's eye. How we live our lives depend on how we respond through the lenses of almighty God. So then the question is before I take my seat, how do we fix this thing? How do we fix the racial question and discord. How do we forge ahead with new ideas of racial harmony within community as to go so far seeking reconciliation? Well, you, you remember the Hurricane Katrina? You remember that hurricane? The plight of the poor and the black people in New Orleans was laid to bear for all of us to see. The impoverished living condition existed before Katrina came was really an indictment against the city of New Orleans. And in a real sense, it became the national example of inner city life. Compassionate responses came all over to to the Katrina crisis. And it's been very impressive. 
coming from houses of worship, big and small, corporations, big and small, federal government, community agencies, and individuals even. However, charity is not enough. Charity is not enough. You know how you know it's charity? When you feel good. How you know you've done charity? I don't need someone to do something for me because it makes them feel good. <sighs> I need somebody to help me to change a community because it is part of God's calling on their life. It is part of the calling of greater humanity to help change a structure in our community to help make a better society because all of us are obligated to do it. So charity won't do it. But it appears that our nation and some of our communities specifically are unwilling to invest in the elimination of the disparity between black and white. Thank you, Artisan Church. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for at least attempting to have this conversation. That's well overdue, particularly from the houses of worship. All we do is go to church and praise God. But when Sunday service is over and we go back home to Rochester or back home to Brighton or back home to Henrietta, wherever we're from, where is that same God who brought us together in faith that will bring us together when they're discord? To lift the bootstraps of our sisters and brothers regardless of skin color. Thank you, Artisan, for at least attempting this conversation. Yes, and attempting the conversation might mean that we have to go through some painful conversations. That might bear some uncomfortability and awkwardness. But it will force us to look and confront the ugly nature of racism. And that we've learned that racism won't go away just that easily. But here's how. It can go away. And then I'm done. In the book of Acts, the 10th chapter, verses 9 to 16, there was an account of Simon Peter. He shows us how he was able to see himself and in light of what he saw, become willing to follow the spirit in a community building mission. Well, in the Acts story, the time had come to break down the racial barrier between the, uh, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile community. Well, the Spirit had chosen Peter to speak for the mission to the Gentiles, which was something he had never done before. So Peter just subscribed very quickly to the customs and the traditional prohibitions of his Jewish people. He, he, he was loyal to that. And, but in order to release Peter to a new calling... He had to have had a change of perception on a very deep level. So the spirit arranged a life transforming experience that enables Peter to see himself and others in a completely different fashion. While waiting for something to eat, the Bible reported to us, Peter fell into a deep sleep into a trance. And I just again want to read that last portion of scripture, Acts 10, verse 16. 
This happened three times where he heard a voice speaking to him. And immediately the thing was taken back to heaven. What a powerful imagery that is to me. The thing. The thing helped us see who we really are. It might be a mirror. It might be a conversation like this. It might be a one-on-one coffee break. It might be an argument even to help us see who we really are. The thing helped us see who we really are. The thing then shows us the will of God in a particular situation, and the thing helps us see other people in a completely different light. So we stand between two gospels of race, the gospel of racial exceptionalism and the gospel of human race equality of being. So to help us make the just and the righteous choice, we might need a thing from heaven to help us. It may be the best hope for becoming a non-racial society. Go cross town. Go over there and allow the thing from heaven to help you meet the good that's in the hood. Go over to the Crescent. Go over on J Street. What about Lyle Avenue? Go over there to Avenue A, B, C, or D. Go over there and, 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 and allow the thing from heaven to give you boldness and audacity and, 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 and the strength to realize that there's some good people in the hood who is waiting to meet God's people from the other side of town to join with you hand in hand and bless each other saying we are one. It may be the best, best thing for becoming a non-racial society. Do you see a picture of yourself? Marlo, do I see a picture of myself? In ways that you are not proud of. In ways that I know that at times I may not be proud of. A picture that does not honor God, does not glorify God. Well, the Spirit is here to offer us this thing. This thing that offers forgiveness. This thing that offers us hope. This thing that offers us a new conversation. This thing that offers us a new way of engaging with people who might not come from our society or come from our community or come from our neighborhood or come from our street or come from our diaspora. But nevertheless, they're people. And God says, you need a thing to help you talk and help you hug and help you embrace. Because no matter what, there's no white heaven and there's no black heaven. There's only one heaven. Hallelujah to God. There's only one heaven. And if we can't live it out here, oh, please tell me how we're going to live it out in heaven. If we can't shake hands here, how are we going to shake hands with Peter in heaven? How are we going to shake hands with God in heaven? If we can't shake hands here, how are we going to shake hands with somebody in heaven who looked like Gabriel, who looked like Mary, Mark, John, Jesus the Christ? How do we shake hands when we couldn't shake it here because we were living in dissension and division and disharmony? But in heaven, there's only one heaven. Hallelujah. And there's only one great God. And God lives for you. And me. And he doesn't see color. I'm getting ready to wreck this stand right now. I love you all. I love you all. God bless.
For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.